Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, well, thank you so much, Michelle. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop. And today's program is titled Managing Eye and Vision Changes Related to Cancer Treatments. And this is really a unique program. We offer it perhaps once or twice a year, and it's a topic that isn't addressed um, as, as often as it should be um, by your healthcare team um, as a potential treatment side effect. So you're going to hear from really, really experts um, on this topic um, and really give you a lot of very helpful tips. Um, uh, today's uh, program is supported by GlaxoSmithKline, and I really want to thank them for their support of the program. Now, um, we have um, over um, 258 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. We also have international participants from Canada, India, Oman, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. Now, before we uh, start the actual speakers begin, um, we're going to ask you just a few questions just to get a sense of what you know coming into the program. It really helps us as we, um, as we plan future programs, um, and so your feedback to us is very, very important to us. So I'm going to start with the first question. And the first question is, on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand common eye vision changes related to cancer treatments. So again, one is the highest and five is the lowest. And the second question is, I know the tips to manage dry eyes, watery eyes, itching eyes, blepharitis, loss of eyelashes, floaters, and flashing lights. And again, with one being the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the third question is, I know the importance of clinical trials for eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And there's just two more questions. The next question is, I know how to manage low vision. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. The final question in this set is, I know how eye products can help manage eye and vision changes. Again, one is the highest rating and five, the lowest rating. 
Okay, well, I want to thank you all for participating in this polling. Um, it's very helpful to us. Um, this is, will help us as we plan future programs. And now I'm going to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Dan Gombos. And Dr. Gombos is Professor and Section Chair, Section of Ophthalmology, Department of Head and Neck Surgery, Division of Surgery, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, Associate Professor, Ophthalmology, Baylor College of Medicine, Ophthalmology. And Dr. Gumbos is going to set the stage for the program today by addressing an overview of common eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments in the context of COVID-19, cause and risk factors, and common eye and vision changes. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Gumbos. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. And before we begin, I just would like to thank you again for the opportunity to speak today and also uh, be here today with my colleagues, uh, Professor Mataran and, and Mar, who I consider among the um, uh, most prestigious and uh, highest rated author oncologists in the country, if not the world. So it's, it's my pleasure to uh, share the podium with them both. I want to begin today by uh, discussing and providing some context for vision-related eye changes in the context of cancer. It's not something that's often talked about, but is increasingly becoming a very important part um, in the management uh, of patients with cancer. Briefly, and just from an overview perspective, you know, vision changes during the care of cancer fall, fall into sort of one of three major criteria. Either you're developing vision changes that um, occur in patients without cancer, sort of unrelated to your cancer care, or you may be developing issues related to the side effects of the therapy you're getting for your cancer care. That may be side effects related to radiation or chemotherapy or increasingly targeted or immunotherapy. And the third potential context is when the cancer itself is involving uh, vascular or ocular structures associated with the eye. So the cancer has sort of invaded the eye, the eye socket, or potentially uh, vision-related uh, areas in the brain. And so I'd encourage all individuals before they start their therapy to, to get a good and comprehensive eye exam. And this is where the context of the person who's providing that care is very important. I'd encourage people to seek out the care of a board-certified ophthalmologist and MD, as many of these individuals really do have the context to provide the comprehensive care and the comp you know, complex clinical care necessary for a cancer patient. And so at one level, it's important to understand for the eye care practitioner, what are the baseline non-cancer-related issues that you're walking into this context with? So where are we with relation to things like dry eye or cataracts, uh, common ocular problems like glaucoma or macular degeneration? You may want to have a good set of glasses before you start any therapy, uh, understanding that um, therapy may impact your glasses prescription. But perhaps most important about a baseline exam with a ophthalmologist or if you have in your institution an ocular oncologist is um, a review of the care that's planned for your cancer. And it's very helpful for us to know before you begin 
you know, what is the uh, comprehensive plan for your cancer Does it, as it relates to radiation that may be applied to uh, the eye or periocular structures? Uh, is there a specific chemotherapeutic regimen that's being um, planned for? Or increasingly, if there's some newer immunotherapy that's being administered, and those of us in the field know the potential complications that can occur from any of these therapies. So a lot of times when you uh, see an expert, they may be inclined to get baseline exams, baseline assessments, and it's really helpful to do that before your therapy is initiated. The other thing I can't emphasize enough is the importance of a close relationship and communication between your treating ophthalmologist and your um, cancer specialist. And in the centers that are presented here today, there's a very strong communicative relationship between the treating oncologist and the ophthalmologist so that if there are changes related to vision, the ophthalmic specialist can um, discuss directly with the oncologist whether these um, changes are related to the therapy being administered, whether that therapy needs to be changed, or if it is something potentially more serious. And it may be difficult for a patient to truly understand uh, whether their symptoms are related to therapy, whether they are serious or not. And so it's very important to communicate all your symptoms, whatever they are, uh, whether you feel they may be trivial or not with your eye care specialist. This may be something as trivial as having blurry vision or just you know a dry eye sensation or difficulty in transitioning between near and close vision. But certainly I would be strongly encouraging um, any patient of mine to let us know immediately if they're having certain symptoms like double vision, uh, distortion of certain vision, and potentially even loss or significant decline of vision. Those could be very, very serious, and they may significantly impact uh, the care that's being provided by your practitioner. And increasingly, there are certain drugs and certain regimens that have very specific ocular toxicity. And uh, for some of these, the uh, oncologist um, is going to base the therapy not only continuing the therapy, potentially the dose of therapy, on what their ophthalmic colleagues um, find. Now, I just want to talk briefly about our current situation, which is the pandemic. Uh, many individuals have been hesitant to go to the healthcare environment because of COVID. And uh, I would um, strongly encourage you not to have that perspective in the setting of cancer and ocular-related issues. It's very important for the ophthalmologist to have an assessment of your eye and uh, a good communication so the uh, oncologist understand that. And there are opportunities today that we didn't take advantage of previously before the COVID era that your ophthalmologist may have, specifically um, virtual care or what we call hybrid care, where the uh, ophthalmologist and their team may do some diagnostic testing in the office, but then see you and talk to you in a virtual setting. So um, I'd strongly encourage people, despite the uh, current pandemic, to establish those relationships uh, and to be very communicative and, and not to, uh, avoid the uh, clinical care setting uh, within this uh, current pandemic uh, where we can 
still provide the care that's necessary in a safe environment, and increasingly uh, the healthcare environment really is, is a very uh, safe and, um, you know, if you like, protected environment where uh, you should feel comfortable coming in for the, uh, the care that, that you need. Um, so I'll uh, hand it off at this point to, to my colleagues, uh, and hopefully that will provide the context with which their talks uh, will be uh, appreciated. Carol? Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Gombos. That was really excellent, really an outstanding um, overview, and, uh, and really sets the stage for the program today. So thank you so much. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Miguel Matarin, and Dr. Matarin will, is Director of Ophthalmic Oncology, Professor of Ophthalmology, Professor of Radiation Oncology, Duke University Eye Center. And Dr. Matter will be addressing tips to manage dry eyes, watery eyes, itching eyes, blepharitis, loss of eyelashes, floaters, and flashing lights. Um, he'll also be discussing the role of the multidisciplinary team and tips to manage low vision. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my colleague, my esteemed colleague, Dr. Matterin. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Messner. Um, thank you, everyone, for being there. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be part of this uh, prestigious panel. And um, briefly, I will uh, discuss uh, the, uh, the issues that were just um, introduced by Dr. Messner. So, and I think that uh, from the four topics that we're going to, what I'm going to talk today, I would like to emphasize the number three, and that is the role of the multidisciplinary team. Um, in 2021, and a few years back, if not more, uh, this is key uh, because you, you need to be sure that um, your oncologist has uh, an ophthalmologist who to refer you to if any adverse event happens. At the same time, your ophthalmologist, when you're going to start or you are receiving any cancer treatment, um, you need to ask if he or she is familiar with the side effects that these, um, the treatment that you are going to receive. Now, I like to divide um, the side effects from these treatments in two. Is this severe or this is not severe? And Dr. Gambos, he, he mentioned that. Um, there are very common side effects that happen to everyone um, or, or, or can happen to everyone, even without cancer or without cancer treatment. And most of them are very common symptoms. However, after having a baseline ophthalmic exam and while or after starting the treatment, for the cancer, if new symptoms develop, that is a different story and that should bring uh, our attention. Now, I said that I like to divide these into severe or non-severe. Um, there, uh, there are several papers, several uh, publications on these topics, but I would like to mention one um, that was that it included almost 1,500 patients treated with immunotherapy, and only 15, that is 1%, developed serious side effects. Now, 
what are the uh, serious side effects? Well, uh, it can be from retinal detachment. It can be a severe inflammation of the eye. It can be even, uh, you know, a severe um, erosion of the cornea, et cetera, et cetera. But please keep in mind this is 1% of patients. It's very common, very common for any cancer treatment. Uh, people can have dry eyes, watery eyes, itching eyes, blepharitis, and most of the time, most of the time, these are not serious and can be uh, managed by your general ophthalmologist. As Dr. Gombos mentioned, different situation is if we start with uh, sudden onset of floaters, flashing lights, decreased vision, because in those cases, those are the symptoms that you should have a very, very low threshold to go to the ophthalmologist. And when I said very low threshold to go to the ophthalmologist, I, I'm saying within 24, no more than 48 hours. And so if something is happening, like the, one of the severe side effects that I was mentioning, um, it's not the ophthalmology who is going to handle uh, or, or, or manage the, the treatment that can be affecting your vision, but it will be um, one phone call, one text, one quick email communication with or your oncologist who will probably uh, stop or decrease the dose of the treatment that you're having, treated you with the treatment that is necessary while the ophthalmologist is controlling or is monitoring the the side effects on the eye. Now, the other uh, point that I, I would like to um, highlight is with cancer patients, uh, we, or we, <clears throat> with cancer in general, we have um, two ways to, to see this. How far are we uh, from the future? But I think it's more important also to see or to think, okay, how long, how long have we been working and how much we improve? We are seeing patients uh, living for years when in the past the, 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 the prognosis was six months of life. So in summary, uh, please remember uh, that yes, we can handle and we can manage and we can treat uh, most of the side effects from non-severe to severe, uh, it has to be a multidisciplinary approach. And finally, um, it's more important to deal to treat the cancer and we will deal with the side effects while they're happening or even later. Um, I'll be happy to answer any questions when the time comes and I think I, I'm okay with my time. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Madden. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful review of really, and, and really stressing the importance of, of uh, contacting, um, working with both your ophthalmologist and your, your um, and your um, and your oncologist together as a team. That's so important. And our next speaker is Dr. Brian Marr. Dr. Marr is the John Wilson FCMD Professor of Ophthalmology, Columbia University Medical Center, New York Presbyterian, Columbia University Irving Medical Center. 
And Dr. Marr will be addressing how eye products can help you manage eye and vision changes, clinical trial updates in the context of COVID-19, and how research contributes to your treatment options. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Marr. Thank you, Carolyn. I think this is such a great program, and I appreciate the invitation to speak here. Um, so I've been tasked to talk a little bit about eye products. Now, when I think of eye products, that's a pretty broad topic. I kind of think of, you know, things that help you see better, and you could break that down into something as simple as glasses, uh, you know, or contact lenses, or you could break it down into uh, lights, you know, and magnifying glasses, or you could uh, break it down into medications, drops, and, and different things that are available. So if we kind of put that into context, I think, you know, to maximize your vision, you, you need the best refraction or glasses prescription that you you can get. So if you're having a little bit of trouble like the other uh, panelists have talked about, see your ophthalmologist, get a good baseline refraction, uh, know where you stand to make sure that the things that are really easy to correct like your glasses are, are right. Um, and then make sure that you're in the right environment. When you want to see something, make sure it's well illuminated. Uh, and, you know, depending on your eye condition, if you have uh, kind of cataracts or some type of dryness, maybe too much light would be detrimental and having kind of just the right amount of light is better. Uh, and then we open the, the doors to what's, uh, what medications we can use to help improve. And if anyone's been into the drugstore recently and looked at the eye section, there's a huge section of all different products and it can be quite overwhelming to know what to use, when to use it, how to use it. Um, and so I'll kind of break that down to the way I think of it. So if we talk about like drops for dry eye as an example, we can think of it um, in kind of three parts. Uh, one is prescription medication. I'm going to change it to four parts, but uh, the first one we could think of prescription medication. Then we can think of um, over-the-counter medications such as um, artificial tears, and within that, they can be preservative-free versus non-preservative-free. Um, and then you can have mechanical things like punctal plugs or lacro, um, lacrimal inserts uh, that can help that. So for a normal person experiencing some dry eye symptoms, which would be, you know, ironically tearing, you know, tearing is kind of like the uh, emergency sprinkler system in a building when there's a fire it comes on and so when your eyes are dry like a fire the lacrimal gland makes excess tears so some people think that wow my eye is tearing all the time how can it be dry but that's kind of a reflex tearing we call it so if you're somebody that's experiencing some minimal symptoms like that then your job is to try to prevent that by using an artificial tear before those symptoms start to trigger that emergency bailout system of that excess tearing so using a, a regular non-preservative teardrop three or four times a day when you're in the right environment, i.e. in a dry environment or a windy environment or something that, you know, where your skin feels dry, you know that the, the air is dry, those are the times that you want to use your supplementation to make up for um, some of the you know, side effects of medications that may cause you to have dryness. But having dryness is not just a cancer-related problem. Although a lot of the cancer treatments will make it worse, you know, that, those drug stores wouldn't be full of these products if it wasn't a fairly common problem. So um, the treatment is 
ubiquitous, so to speak, or all over the place. And so, you know, if you're using the drops more than three or four times a day, then I would switch to a preservative-free drop. Those are ones that come in little individual containers. They have less chemical preservatives and they're gentler on the eye, but they're needed for people that are either sensitive to the preservatives or um, that are using them so frequently that you know the exposure to those preservatives may cause irritation. And then the next level of topical treatment for dryers would be like a, um, a prescription medication. So there's three different types of prescription medications kind of tailored for dry eye. They're all the same medication, unfortunately, in just different preparations. They also use cyclosporin, and you may have heard of Restasis or Zidra or Sequa who, that's been on, advertised on television. Um, those are prescription medications that decrease some of the inflammation that's caused by dry eyes and kind of increase the, a better tear environment to help. And they have to be used chronically for a period of time before they actually work. And so if you're in the more serious dry eye realm, those, those medications may be prescribed by your uh, ophthalmologist to help with that. So I kind of break it down into those kind of how, those are the products that I think of that may help your um, eye during um, your treatment. But keep it simple. You'll start with your glasses. Make sure you have the right light. Use some artificial tears, and as you need more and more, you can get fancier and fancier products. Be wary of your environment. So if you're in a dry environment, you can get a humidifier. Or if you're out on a windy day, wear glasses or even kind of wraparound glasses that protect your eyes from uh, being hit by the wind. Know that when you concentrate or you're thinking that you don't blink as much and the t eyes may dry out faster, and you might need to use drops when you're doing those specific activities. So those are kind of my whirlwind tour of what to do with that. And then I'm going to switch gears to talk about clinical trials in, in COVID-19. So in New York City, we did have kind of a big surge that you may have seen on TV of COVID um, patients. And during that, um, a lot of the um, hospitals' resources were really kind of curtailed to accommodate this mass influx of really sick people. So during that time, we did have a little bit of drop of, of clinical trials that were going on. However, that quickly returned, and now I think currently and even for the last six or eight months since that big surge happened, that the clinical trials are, are available and enrolling and filling up, and patients that need them are exposed to them, but you have to kind of look for them, um, and you can't stay at home and think that they're going to come to you. You know, seek your oncologist or seek your uh, healthcare provider. See what's out there. Uh, they still do exist. They're still available for patients, um, and this is the research that really is driving the field forward to give you better care and new options and tailored care for, for your cancer. And I think I'm probably running out of time, but that's a whirlwind tour of my topics. I'm happy to ask, answer any questions later. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mar. That was really excellent and uh, very comprehensive, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director of Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing 
communicating with your healthcare team with um, telehealth, telemedicine appointments, guidelines to prepare for eye examinations, follow-up care and checkups, and talking with your healthcare team about quality of life concerns. It's really my pleasure now, my great pleasure, to introduce to you my esteemed colleague, Dr. Dr. Fleischman. Yes, hello, everybody, and thank you, Dr. Messner. Uh, this is such an important topic that we've kind of shuttled to the side for many years, and it is a good thing it's getting uh, prominence now and people are thinking about um, uh, eye symptoms uh, that are related to cancer, not related to cancer or just related to aging, but it's important to sort those out uh, during treatment. So um, a lot of uh, our procedures, as everybody's aware, have had to be changed abruptly during the COVID-19 pandemic. And the idea of going to your um, uh, eye care specialist or the ophthalmologist for getting a, um, an exam during COVID times um, is a little bit counterintuitive to telemedicine. But indeed, the telemedicine visit can be the first stop because it's a good way to uh, collect history, to ask for the ophthalmologist to ask a lot of questions, uh, to find, to judge exactly how um, quick the patient should be seen in person for the regular high-touch um, eye exam using a slit lamp and a variety of other um, technologies that the eye care professional will use. It's very hard or impossible to do that. Um, and telehealth now, I, I hope things are coming well where this is possible, but for now I don't believe that's, um, that's in the cards. So uh, whether to prepare for a telehealth visit, um, it's a little bit different than just going to an office. You need to identify a quiet place from home. You should find out the exact time um, of the call from the office that's scheduling it. Um, it's important to know whether it will be an audio call or a visual call with video, and if so, exactly how to sign in. Um, I know these things kind of sound simplistic, but these are the things that are making it harder for us to all really jump into telehealth with both feet, both uh, for patients, families, and providers. Um, sometimes you'll be called. Sometimes you have to call a number. Sometimes you'll get an email or a text message containing a hyperlink, those uh, bluish, purplish uh, letters that are underlined, and you need to click on those on your device in order to, go, to get into the call. So find out in advance exactly what will happen. Sometimes you call and you're put into an electronic waiting room. Um, uh, it's kind of like sitting in a waiting room in an office until the provider is ready to see you. Um, uh, in, in a way, this is somewhat helpful because if a family member is at work or in another city, they can uh, hop onto the call too, and it's like being in the office with you without having to travel and, again, protecting everybody's safety in COVID-19 times. So um, these are the, uh, the sort of the differences from just going to the office, but some of the things you need to do beforehand for an office visit are pretty much the same thing. Um, think about how to describe the symptoms. Uh, there's a lot of descriptive, um, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, there are a lot of things that we need to describe very clearly. So with, it's a floater or a flashing light or a, a blurriness or a dryness, 
try to think of the words that most represent uh, the symptom that you're having. It would be a good idea in advance to just think through a list of all the substances you're using, all of the prescribed medications, because the um, ophthalmologist may, may or may not have access to that list if you're being treated in another hospital system, and especially all of the over-the-counter over medicines, supplements, and non-prescribed uh, things that you can get without a prescription because those can all affect um, your vision, and it's important for the eye care provider to know exactly what those are. Um, if you were going to the office, you'd need to bring your glasses, your contact lenses with you. Um, make sure to bring the most up-to-date ones because those are the ones that are needed to actually check your vision. And whether it's a telehealth call or a um, an in-person visit to the eye care provider, think through if anyone in your family has had eye trouble. There are some uh, heritable components to um, eye diseases, uh, and it would be important to know if a family member had glaucoma, especially uh, at a younger age, or if they've had cataract surgery. Uh, so think that through. It's much easier to do that in advance than when you're on the call or when you're sitting in the office. Um, the follow-up care and checkups will be determined exactly by um, you know what, what is initially found, um, we know that uh, the eye exam is not just the sitting behind that the slit lamp, that lamp where we put our chin in, but there are a number of other um, machines that are used to try to look at uh, how wide our visual fields are or take photos inside the eye or a variety of other things. So uh, be prepared that the visit uh, may be a, not just seeing the doctor, but really having a lot of other tests done at the same day. And then the follow-up would be uh, important based upon what's found, as well as communication between the ophthalmologist and your uh, oncology team. Um, these are not just quality of life concerns. These are important components of your care, both in being comfortable, being functional, as well as making sure that um, if there's an effect of the cancer or a side effect of treatment, that everybody's on board with understanding it and making sure it doesn't interfere with your daily life. With that, I'll turn it back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding and really uh really helps people to understand um, how they pre prepare for visits in general, telehealth visits, and really how to work with their whole team. So excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Leanne Medina-Martinez. Uh, Ms. Medina-Martinez is an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, and she'll be discussing Cancer Care's free programs and services. And it's really my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Medina-Martinez. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. As Dr. Messner mentioned, I'm an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. As an oncology social worker, I provide support services to individuals and their loved ones who are impacted by a cancer diagnosis. I also stay abreast of changing trends and new knowledge in the field in order to provide the best care possible to those who use our services. Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services and information to help people manage the emotional, practical, and financial challenges of cancer. Our comprehensive services include case management, counseling and support groups, educational workshops, 
publications, and limited financial assistance. To become connected to any of Cancer Care services, those interested can call Cancer Care's National Hope Line to speak to an oncology social worker. We've been talking today about ways to manage your care in relation to eye and vision changes, and I'd like to speak to you about the importance of creating a support network as part of that care and how cancer care can be a part of your network. The cancer diagnosis can be very overwhelming. Additional support and guidance, as well as establishing a supportive network, may help to relieve feelings of anxiety related to one's diagnosis. It can be beneficial to determine ways to approach these challenges that may surface. Working one-on-one -on -one with an oncology social worker through individual counseling can offer a space to express one's feelings, emotions, and concerns. Our short-term cancer-focused individual counseling is available to those diagnosed with cancer, as well as for loved ones or caregivers to address these concerns. They are offered in the New York, New Jersey area over video platform and over the telephone. Joining a support group offers the opportunity to speak with others who may be experiencing similar issues and navigating similar challenges. Additionally, it is also a space to both gather and provide support and obtain valuable information. We offer several support groups to New York and New Jersey residents via video platform. We also offer some national services, such as case management and online support groups. Cancer Care's case management services are offered nationally to patients post-treatment survivors, and caregivers affected by cancer. We offer a short-term, strength-based approach to case management where the social worker will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. Our online support groups take place using a password-protected message board format and are led by professional oncology social workers who offer support and guidance. Groups are held for 15 weeks at a time and you can register on our website to join an online support group. On Cancer Care's website, cancercare.org, there's also a wide array of reading material and information related to ocular cancers and other cancer diagnoses. This includes recorded Connect Education workshops, Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care podcast, publications about vision concerns, as well as stories of help and hope and multiple cancer resources. In addition to these, we also provide limited financial support. We currently have a program that offers limited financial support for those who have had vision changes due to their impact of their diagnosis and or treatment. This program is available to those living in the tri-state area, and the tri-state area includes the states of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. If you're interested in learning more about our services, I encourage you to call Cancer Care's National Hope Line at one 800 813-4673 to speak to one of our oncology social workers. There you can discuss what led you to cancer care and explore with one of our social workers the ways in which we can offer support. Our social workers can also provide resources to access clinical trials, financial assistance, and potential supports local to you. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to be a part of this program today. I will now turn our program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Medina Martinez. That was really outstanding and just wonderful resources um, that you've identified so clearly for everybody to take advantage of. So if you haven't used these services, we definitely suggest that you go ahead and call our, 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 um, our hope line um, or visit our website. 
Okay, and now before we take questions and answers, um, we're going to do the Q&A. Before we do that, we're going to ask you just a few more questions at the end of the program. And so um, I'm going to start with, um, there's just uh, five questions, and we ask you, they're, they're just, um, I'm going to go over them again. So um, the, first, the, uh, the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have a greater knowledge of common eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments. Again, one is the highest rating and five is the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident in using the tips recommended to manage, my, to manage dry eyes, watery eyes, itching eyes, blepharitis, loss of eyelashes, floaters, and flashing lights. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I am more likely to participate in clinical trials for eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments. Again, one is the highest rating and five is the lowest rating. And there are just two questions left. Um, this, this next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in working with my healthcare team to manage low vision. Again, one is the highest rating and five is the lowest rating. And the last question is, as a result of this workshop, I have greater confidence in using eye products discussed to manage eye and vision changes. Again, one is the highest rating and five is the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in this uh, polling exercise. And now I'm going to ask uh, Michelle to bring all of our speakers on board. And, uh, and uh, we're going to have a Q&A period. And Michelle will explain to you how to, how to queue up and ask questions. Michelle. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star, then one, or your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Okay, we have a number of questions um, actually in um, a number of online questions, really quite a few. We may not be able to get to all of your questions. We're going to do our very best, however. Um, So um, this question uh, for Dr. Um, 
Matarin, what are some of the effective therapies to help with dry eyes caused by dexamethasone? Well, usually with dry eyes, we start with um, non-preservative, um, regular um, artificial tears. And then uh, if the problem is not solved, then we can lock the um, the duct of the uh, lacrimal the lacrimal duct, and then mm, there is also the possibility of using um, medicine called restasis. So again, it depends on the severity of the dry eye. This has to be evaluated by an ophthalmologist. If the regular ophthalmologist cannot solve the problem, maybe a cornea specialist and so on. So if um, if it does not, if it's not resolved, then we increase the uh, the depth of the investigation. Okay. Thank you. And um, this question, um, I'm going to take part of the question because I think um, it's an important question. Um, and I'm, I'm going to ask um, Dr. Gumbos if you could address this. I was diagnosed with lung cancer last summer and on maintenance, chemo, and immunotherapy. I'm experiencing a lot of puffiness around and under my eyes. This got even worse after receiving a second COVID vaccine last week. Should I be concerned? I will be seeing my oncologist tomorrow. If you'd like to comment on this, Dr. Gumbos? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Um there are some COVID-related issues related to cancer in general post-vaccine, and there's recently been some studies done from our institution of others that have shown that post-vaccine, there may be some lymphadenopathy that develops on the side of the vaccine, and in fact, uh, there's probably an upsurge of people getting mammography for atypical lymphadenopathy associated with the vaccine. And we're recognized that. Of course, we want our patients to get vaccinated. It's so important because we've identified that cancer is a high risk for COVID. That said, it's not a blanket statement. I urge everyone to review with their oncologist, especially if they're on therapy, whether their oncologist is comfortable with them getting the vaccine at this juncture or if they want them to wait. It's very cancer-specific, but you should definitely discuss that. Now, as it relates to puffiness per se, you know, it's a very nonspecific symptom. Um, there are some nonspecific issues related to COVID as well. So I think, as with all things, definitely bring it up with your physician. There may be some non-COVID-related issues related to that. It may be related to the systemic care that you're getting. Um, but more often than not, if it's not directly impacting ophthalmic care or our vision, we generally are just provide supportive care under that environment. I think the, the key thing here is the communication. Talk to your oncologist, uh, review your recent vaccine status, and then if they have a concern, go in for that physical exam, as has been pointed out, the slit lamp exam, et cetera, uh, to, to have that properly assessed. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's excellent. Uh, and um, so this would be for Dr. Marr. Um, my eyelids and surrounding skin have broken out in hives, and again, the local ophthalmologist isn't sure what to do about this. 
PCP had me change to a, a lurger and use a cortisone cream I used for three days, less than prescribed, and hives got better. Did you want to comment on this, Dr. Marr? Sure. Um, you know, the symptoms of hives are usually, if they're truly what we describe as hives, this puffy kind of circumscribed multiple lesions, um, are usually a, an allergic reaction. And now the trick, and as your doctors have probably started to treat you for, um, some type of topical allergy reaction may be going on. Um, you know, the, the trick is to try to find what triggers it, and sometimes that can be very hard. Um, and other other medications can cause excess histamine release and, and uh, trigger these reactions. But it's mostly environmental, whether it be soap or new products, makeup, or new, new artificial tears. Some people are um, allergic to some of the preservatives in certain uh, things. So you kind of have to do a little detective work to see if you can find the trigger and then also see if it happens multiple times. So if this is the first time, it may just be a fluke thing, but if you have a habitual um, occurrence of this, then you have to kind of track down to see if you can find the culprit. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And um, Dr. Matter, this question, um, can a macular hole be a result of previous chemotherapy, monoclonal antibody therapy? Just a general question. Um, can, you, can you ask the question again, please? Oh, can a macular hole be a result of previous chemotherapy, monoclonal antibody therapy? Um, I have not seen that. I'm not aware of that happening. Uh, if, uh, if a macular hole is, um, is happening, um, probably is because of other reasons. But um, again, um, that is mm, that is not. Um, I cannot say that things never happen. Uh, it's just we have not seen that in the 1,500 patients that uh, we we I spoke before. However, there are, yes, there are macular issues that can come or can be caused by um, immunotherapy, definitely, and we did see that. Excellent. Thank you. Um, So here's a question, um, just more general question. Um, Dr. Gumbos, I have noticed problems with my vision since I started chemotherapy. Are the side effects temporary? Yeah, it's, it's an outstanding question. And really, uh, this is where uh, a general question like that can't be assessed without proper um, a proper full clinical assessment. Um, we've emphasized the importance of coordinating care between your oncologist and ophthalmologist. And so the first step is your ophthalmologist is going to have to review the therapy that you're getting. And then the second question is, in review of that, what are the eye problems that you're having? And then, then have to assess whether it's a reversible or not. There's simply no way of knowing whether a visual symptom you're having is reversible or not without that comprehensive review of what are you getting, what is, the, what is the problem that you're having, and then figuring out. Many things are reversible. There's no question about it. Uh, but not everything is. Maybe related to the treatment itself. It may be related to unrelated toxicity or worsening toxicity. It may be related to things like the steroids that they're giving you, uh, which can impact 
of the blood sugar in your body. And so it, it's not a simple question. It's highly complex. Fortunately, many, not all, but many things are reversible. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and for Dr. Matterin, um, could you say a little bit more about managing floaters and eyelash loss? <clears throat> okay. Uh, let's start with the floaters. Um, about 100% of the people in this world, sooner or later, will have floaters. Um, there are people who will have floaters earlier in life uh, because of trauma, because of myopia, um, because of diabetes, and uh, people that will have floaters later in life. And that is because the floaters are caused by the gel inside the eye that starts moving around. When those floaters, and those floaters can be really annoying, which does not mean that we need to treat them. Um, we, we treat, it's not the treatment of the floaters that we're doing, but if there are any consequences for the floaters, like pulling the retina and causing the retinal detachment, that's a different story. So that's when we are more concerned about the floaters. Uh, regarding the um, eyelashes loss, well, it depends on what cause them. If uh, it's, um, it's very common that people who were treated with uh, radiation, protamine radiation, or other type of radiation to an intraocular tumor, that patients can lose the eye flashes. And um, those are hard if they can come back. Uh, the other reason for the eyelashes loss is because of the chemotherapy, and most of the time, the uh, eye flashes come back. The question is when? Well, it varies. It varies with the medicine, with the type of cancer, with the patient, and, and the quality of the eyelashes as well. So uh, for the eyelashes loss, chemotherapy, probably they will come back. Radiation, probably they will not come back. And please understand that I'm saying they were probably two times. And um, regarding the floaters, well, it's very common. And if there are sudden onset of floaters, uh, the, uh, the ophthalmologist needs to uh, evaluate, perform a dilated eye exam to see if there is any problem in the retina. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I think we have a telephone question, Michelle. We have a question from Emil S. Your line is open. Yes, uh, two questions. Very good uh, program, by the way. Can you have floaters for years, and can they eventually cause a serious vision problem? And does cancer and cancer treatment increase the development of cataracts? Well, thank you, Emil, for those questions. Um, Dr. Gumpos, do you want to address those questions? Sure. Um, you know, there are definitely some therapies that uh, can certainly increase uh, the natural development of cataracts. And so many patients are on systemic steroids, and that's a known toxicity that can certainly increase the progression of cataracts. Uh, the other thing is radiation, and certainly the lens is a very radiation-sensitive structure. And so we know that radiation near and around the eyes can certainly uh, increase the development of cataracts. There's a whole slew of therapies that can cause cataracts. And so, again, um, those of us that um, uh, 
work closely with uh, cancer providers that work, uh, as the three of us do, in comprehensive cancer centers. We're sort of trained at understanding how your therapy can increase your risk of uh, cataracts per se, but uh, it definitely can occur. The positive thing about that is is that cataracts are um, treatable. They're uh, amenable to, to surgery, so it's not a permanent uh, irreversible impact division. It's not that it doesn't impact quality of life while you have them, but in the scheme of things, once uh, your therapy is addressed and uh, your uh, no longer immunocompromised surgery can uh, generally uh, alleviate the vast majority, if not all, of uh, cataracts. Excellent. Thank you. Um, okay. Um, it's a wonderful question. Let me just find this. It's a wonderful online question. I just wanted to... Well, here's a question, actually. Um, uh, so for Dr. Marr, is there any specific over-the-counter medicine beneficial to eye health? Well, the one thing I forgot to talk about was, you know, there are some supplements uh, for dry eyes. And so some of the uh, flaxseed oil and omega-3 complexes are sold for dry eye relief, and they've been shown to help increase the, uh, the quality of the tear film. Um, as a general tonic for the eye, there's no magic kind of pill. You know, people sometimes mistake some of the eye vitamins uh, that are made for macular degeneration as as one of those type of uh, over-the-counter supplements that are supposed to help the eyes. I think, you know, there are lots of products that help certain problems within the eye, but no general magic pill, unfortunately. Um, I would use the artificial tears when your eye health is dry because chronic dryness can lead to other problems. Um, but, yeah, there's I don't know of anything, and I'll open it up to anyone else, if, if there's any general eye health pill, but I don't, I'm not aware of it. Any other comments or any other speakers? I would just tell anyone to be very cautious about taking any supplement uh, without reviewing it with your team. Uh, sometimes people perceive that things that are over-the-counter can't be harmful. Um, it may or may not be true, but uh, I advocate that anything a patient takes be reviewed by their uh, primary oncologist to be certain that it's not going to in any way uh, – interact uh, in, in a non-ideal fashion with their therapy. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. That's excellent. Um, and um, this our last question um, for Dr. Gumbos. Are there eye exercises to help with double vision? Well, in the setting of cancer, double vision is such a potentially serious problem that I would encourage everyone on this call to bring that to the attention of their doctor and to make sure that it's thoroughly vetted. Double vision can be sometimes not serious, but it potentially can involve some of the nerves that are innervating the muscles uh, and potentially around the brain and central nervous system. So that is something I would never ignore. 
I would always see that as potentially an urgent, if not emergent problem, and it should be thoroughly vetted. Now, once it's thoroughly vetted, then there are things that can be done. In certain scenarios, rarely exercises can help, but there are other approaches that can be used to address double vision, but never ignore it. Excellent. And uh, before we conclude the program, I'm going to ask each of our speakers to actually um, – you know, leave you with a takeaway um, in terms of, um, I'm going to start with the order that they presented in. So I'm going to start with Dr. Gumbos to actually just a takeaway that you'd like people to remember about the program today that was was addressed. So, Yeah, I would say the takeaway that I heard today from Dr. Mataran is um, your ophthalmologist is part of your team. And if you have a good team working with you, you'll get optimal care. But team is, is, is key in all of this. And, and uh, uh, having good communication within that team will provide optimal uh, systemic and ocular care. Excellent. And um, Dr. Mattern? <laughs> yes, well, I will say um, to do not panic. Uh, when you start with a treatment, uh, most of the time, the vast majority of patients, um, the side effects from the treatment on the eyes um, is um, manageable and treatable. So, um, you know, don't uh, disregard any symptoms, but please don't panic. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Um, and, and Dr. Marr? So my take-home point is there's a lot of products out there that can help you. Know what you want to use them for and know what they're used for uh, to make sure you're using them correctly and don't have false expectations on what they want to do. Um, so do a little bit of investigation on which, what your symptoms are, what's available, and what it's supposed to do, and then use it properly. Excellent. Thank you. And, and Dr. Fleischman? Yeah, I, I think it's really important to, uh, not to minimize uh, any eye change. Please mention it to your oncology nurse and your oncologist, whether they're a medical oncologist or surgical oncologist. So if it is something, or radiation oncologist. So if it's something that needs to be evaluated, it, it doesn't get neglected. Excellent. Thank you. And, and, and Ms. Um, um, Medina Martinez. So the point that I want um, everyone to take away is if you are in need to add to your team as far as, you know, supportive network or even just getting assistance um, as far as how to communicate with your doctors or any other um, medical professionals on your team, please reach out to Cancer Care and speak to one of our oncology social workers any of our oncology social workers will be able to assist you in that process as far as helping provide you support, as well as providing you with resources and guidance on how to communicate with your team about your vision concerns. Excellent. Now, I want to thank all of our speakers today. It's, this has been a phenomenal call. I think it's probably been the best, best we've ever done. We've had the most wonderful speakers, and we also have had wonderful participants with such great questions. I know there are many more questions in queue, so I want to address that right up front. For those of you who asked a question or for those of you who haven't had a chance to ask a question, please take the information you've learned today back to your treating healthcare team. They know you the best. 
and I think the point has been made by many of our speakers that um, it's your you need to work with your oncologist and your ophthalmologist around any eye issues that you're addressing um, because that's really very important that that team be consulted. They know you the best and they can make the best recommendations for you. Also, um, we do invite you, of course, to contact Cancer Care um, for the many services that uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Medina Martinez reviewed with you. Um, that's very important to take advantage of those free services. Um, and if we don't have the service you need, we will refer you through our case management services to other resources and be sure you connect with them. So whatever your concern is, and of course, that's, that's important. I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.